Metricast. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We often bond a family that very few can understand. Help me! Help you! <laughs> I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. Alright. Aliens! Like that? Yep. What up? And welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we are talking about a movie from 1986. A classic by some people's accounts. Aliens. <laughs> this being our second review, because I told you in our Alien review, out now, available on YouTube, that uh, if you were going to watch Alien and further yourself along the in, the in the canon of Alien movies, Aliens was definitely a requirement as a different component as part of pop culture. I cannot talk about this movie critically because I cannot get past the fact that James Cameron was 31 years old when he directed this film. It's hard, right? As we get older and we start to see these hallmarks. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow had already won the Oscar by 25. For Shakespeare in Love? Yep. But she'd also been around for like 20 years. What are you going to do? Can't fight it, man. 31 years old. So backdating, that means that he was 29 when he directed the first Terminator. That blows my mind. Yep. A guy of singular vision and dedication. Was he some kind of film genius? I think so. He's definitely a difficult guy to get along with by most accounts, but a dedicated, focused genius. So did he will aliens into existence? Well, he was approached on the strength of Terminator, the success in the U.S., but there's some conflicting reports. It's hard for me to tell. As far as I understand, he was writing subsequent drafts of the Terminator also writing the Aliens script, both as a treatment and as a full-blown screenplay, because this idea was in development for several years, while also writing the screenplay for Rambo First Blood Part Two. As far as I understand it, he left Aliens pre-production to film Terminator and was undoubtedly involved in the edit through a lot of, you know, pre-production for Aliens. Aliens, also known as Pre-Avatar. Pre-Avatar, also originally known as Alien 2. So why didn't they approach Ridley Scott? Uh, I don't know. They wanted fresh blood, apparently, but Ridley Scott did say that he was really hurt because he felt that he and his team had done a good job with Alien and expected to be approached. 
he had a different, a completely different take, but he does really like the James Cameron aliens and said he could never talk bad about it because everything they did, he felt they did successfully. Alien, after watching Aliens, is a great movie. Aliens, kind of only okay. Really? Because completely different kind of a movie. And even Ridley Scott himself said that Aliens was a really great, straight across the board action movie. I'll give you that. I mean, there were things blowing up and stuff on fire like everywhere. (laughs) So they approached this young kid and were like, hey, do you want to do like a major motion picture action film? Uh, Yeah, he had met with Hill and Guiler. And uh, they discussed several projects working together because he they really liked uh, where the Terminator was headed and pitched a number of things that he wasn't particularly interested in. And sort of as he was walking out the door, as the story goes, they said, oh, yeah, we were thinking about doing a sequel to Alien, which stopped James Cameron in his tracks because Alien was one of his favorite movies. And it kind of dovetailed with a story that he had written appropriately called Mother, although I don't think it was based on Alien at all, that had the elements of the terraforming and included a xenomorph of one form or another and developed that into the treatment for aliens. Which is just kind of inherently flawed. I mean, Ripley wouldn't go back. It's tough sell, definitely, to get her to go back. As a matter of fact, Sigourney Weaver had very little intention of going back. And James Cameron's script convinced her that this would be something that Ripley ultimately would do. However, this was in the context of the script that she read, which necessitated Ripley having those doubts about going back, saying numerous times, absolutely not. There's no way you're crazy. And also her her, uh, being established in the role as a mother, which would coincide with her sort of maternal role with Newt and, uh, All of that stuff was excised from the theatrical cut. Wait a second. You mean her being like, do you have news of my daughter? And like the whole Newt relationship isn't in the theatrical version of of Aliens? Right. What? So Aliens stands as one of the first examples of the movie where the the director's cut has become the definitive cut. It sort of orchestrated this whole idea of a director's cut being a better version. And unfortunately, that's been dumbed down now to where director's cuts are just throwing in the deleted scenes, sometimes almost unfinished. And it, and they tout it as sort of a version that you've never seen before, but that doesn't necessarily mean a better version. So James Cameron's script uh, with Gail Ann Hurd, his wife at the time, they had a very long script and a very long movie, which contained everything that you saw, and they needed to come in under a, under 135. And they were way over that, something like 30 minutes over that. So they agonized over how to do it. For Avatar, James Cameron ended up cutting something like 10 frames off of every shot in the movie, which ultimately resulted in dropping, I don't know, however, seven minutes of screen time or something when they cut it down and deleting a couple of scenes. But he wasn't willing to do that with Aliens. So uh, they battered around some ideas, and eventually Gail Ann Hurd came to him and said, hey, I have a crazy idea, but bear with me. If we cut a lot of Act 1 and we lose the whole thing with Newt, with her parents, with going to investigate the derelict spacecraft, any mention of the original colonists on LV-426, all the people that we see and the kid riding the big wheel, anything we see with Ripley and any mention of her daughter, all that stuff, we can drop it. So he definitely was resistant to that and then conceded that that would not take away from the arc. And so they made the cuts, much to Sigourney Weaver's disappointment, 
because part of that was the only reason she signed on. And it was kind of her resistance and her annoyance that led them to issue the special edition uh, restored laser disc, which actually became available before the theatrical edition was released. The mother storyline was the thing to grab onto because this film was otherwise void of the fear and the terror that Alien elicits. I didn't feel like this was a scary film. I felt like it was an action film with some heart, and the heart came primarily from the Ripley-Newt relationship. So even with the director's cut, where we see Newt's father being taken by one of the facehuggers, where we see all the people in the colony of Hadley's Hope before, and then we later come to understand that every one of those people, including the kid on the big wheel, are all dead. Did um, we definitely... Did Paul Reiser send Newt's family on the excursion or whatever where they find the ship? Maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought later in the film it came out that he had, because the colonists had been there for many years, but had no encounter with the with the xenomorphs. But then right. like it came out that maybe because of Ripley's testimony, he had like sent people to go and check it out. I don't know. Okay. But there was some wonkiness in the timeline there. Uh, when she woke up from her uh, cryo sleep or hyper sleep or whatever and learned how much time had elapsed. And then it was unclear to me how much time had elapsed from the time she woke to where she finally came around to the idea of joining the Colonial Marines. And if she had to be convinced, what was it that convinced her? Was it the dream? The reinstatement of her of her commercial pilot's license. But he, that was always, that was a part of the original deal, which she turned down. And then she went to sleep and had a dream, a chest bursting dream. And then she was like, all right, I'll go back. Well, this was after she had found out that the colonists had, had stopped responding. But I think it was a combination of the reins, the full reinstatement of her title and her ability to work, in addition to the fact that they said she would never be on the ground with the Marines. She would be safe and she would be there just as an advisor. Right. Like all eight of the Marines that they sent. Given her testimony, you'd think that she'd want a little more security. Yeah, and you well, I don't, I don't, I can't account for the reasons that she ultimately landed on the ground with them and went into the compound. That seemed kind of contrary to everything she was saying because she knew what was in there. But we did stay with the Colonial Marines for quite a while. We were with the military and uh, and and all the bureaucracy that led up to sort of this incursion and. That may have diffused some of the horror and the tension, but I felt that it was sufficient because when we saw a fully thriving colony in the beginning of the director's cut, and then they land and have to pry open the doors and everything is empty and there's evidence of a battle and the uh, the holes burn through the floor from the blood. The last stand. I definitely was scared because we know from watching Alien how devastating just one of those creatures could be. It was eyed. I think that maybe this movie suff- I think this movie suffers for two reasons. One, by necessity or like the context of this podcast, it's compared to Alien, which really is a superb movie. Like the more I think about it, the more affected I am by how good it is. And then second, the original trope effect that we talked about with Alien, how like this this film feels really tropey, but it's like did it invent those tropes? Which tropes? Um, well, we were talking about going into the colony for the first time and and seeing the, the vestiges of the battle and the final showdown and all that kind of stuff. And then they go and they track the motion sensor into the room where there's the gerbil or the hamster. And it's uh-huh. like, yeah, okay. Like, I wasn't scared at all because I knew it wasn't a xenomorph. 
Yeah, it's hard to say without, you know, sort of critically examining all the movies that did, that do those tropes and kind of chronologically listing them. But what Aliens does more effectively than most movies I can think of when it comes to creating a, a worthy sequel, the old adage has been that sequels cost twice as much and earn half as much. And that was not the case for Aliens, but that was the worry. And so I think what Aliens does admirably is it hugely expands almost every theme of Alien without making it redundant or a throwback for fan service. In what way? Well, Alien, we have a single alien. Obviously, the the most obvious is that there are many, many aliens in this movie. Um, we have the advent of the Queen, which, uh, you know, was a question in the first movie. There are thousands of eggs. Who laid the eggs? The idea of the motion trackers, which obviously we, we was a throwback to Dallas in the ventilation system and was used to uh, extensive effect in, in Aliens. Pretty much any time we needed drama and tension for a creature off screen, we had that terrifying blip and the uncertainty as to how it was possible that it was within six meters of them when that was within the room. The personification of the company, now the mission, it's not like a mercenary, what do they call it? Space trucker mercenary mission, now the company is present and yeah. is evil in the character of Burke. Yeah, whereas they had us a job to do and all of the crew were resistant to address this beacon and the first alien and they did so because of company regulations and because they weren't going to get their bonus they weren't going to get paid if they deviated from the mission as per protocol when they had to instead of go home go investigate this stupid distress signal same case here and so the presence of the company obviously puts everyone in danger in a much more direct way uh, personified by Burke by the Burke character Paul Reiser odd choice but uh Obviously, we have the xenomorph, uh, which grew and which nobody expected to get quite as large as it did. And then, but that thing doesn't hold a candle to the terrifying insectoid sort of queen. James Cameron has admitted that many of the themes in Aliens parallel the Vietnam War. The confidence of American soldiers, much more heavily armed and much more confident in their superiority, but not trained as well. So that without, regardless of how many guns, when they go into the enemy's territory, they were completely overwhelmed in a lot of instances. Hmm. Guerrilla warfare and like underground tunnels and stuff. So I think the alien, the xenomorph was also expanded upon, but they were less scary in their expanded version. They expanded on their intelligence and so much so that the queen mother is like rational and like willing to negotiate with Ripley. Mm -hmm. Has, like, minions that she can, like, stave off to save her babies. By turning her head? Yeah, yeah. She, like, turns her head, and then her, like, lackeys, like, sulk into the shadows. And she's like, don't hurt my babies, and I won't hurt you. And Ripley's like, all right. And they have this, like, motherly standoff slash agreement. And then Ripley, Which like... Which Ripley then patently violates. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, she... So, I don't know if that means that humans are, are really the superior creature. But, um... I did. I found that more comical than I did. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Tulusma. I'm a writer, an emotional intelligence coach, and the host of Humanize with Blue Tulusma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. 
Join us every week here on ElectroCast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. ElectroCast. Scary. I mean, James, again, James Cameron's version is a great action film, but it sucked the terror out of it. (laughs) So... I think a part of that was, I mean, I definitely find the queen scary. The, well, I think part of the reason is maybe the first alien would have been cut down by machine guns almost immediately and the crew of the Nostromo wouldn't have had such a problem. But so many aliens were dispatched so quickly in the course of battle that maybe they sort of lost their, their you know, their sort of all-encompassing power and terror when there were dozens and hundreds of them. Yeah, and they were getting like mowed down. Yeah. Additionally, they had this Badejo kid who was seven feet tall in the original Xenomorph suit. And because there were so many of them, they, they didn't have that option here. So they uh, they had regular six foot actors. I think they only had a total of four or six alien suits and everything else was clever editing. Um, and the queen was sort of their centerpiece. Yeah, pretty cool design. I mean, I, I will agree. It's certainly not as scary and definitely more of an action movie. But uh, at the same time, I think it was treated differently in that Alien wasn't really a funny movie. I can't recall any funny parts. And definitely we had Hudson there, Bill Paxton, RIP, entirely for comedic effect. This isn't happening, man. So the Colonial Marines, I thought, and de- let's let's be clear, Aliens definitely has problems. And some of it is cringy, but it's otherwise so cool. I mean, the countdown theme in... Uh, on the original Nostromo and Mother counting down to an uncancelable uh, self-destruct sequence at five minutes just to get clear of the wreckage, and then the expanded 15 minutes uh, of refusing to leave on the hope that Newt was alive and her going down on her own because Hicks was out of commission and Bishop was piloting the craft. Yawn. Really? How did she know that Newt wasn't, like, processed? She didn't. That's the question. She decided because she was a mother and because she had lost her daughter that she was responsible for Newt's safety. Against all good sense and logic and certainly um, what Bishop was saying, she headed down on her own with 15 minutes before the destruction in the blind hope of pulling this kid out. I'm a mom. I don't know if I buy it. But you were going on your list of um, cool stuff and then I poo-pooed it. Well, also we have an Android character, and Ash, things didn't go so well. And so from the outset, we're aware that there's an Android character, and Ripley has her reservations. Did uh, the Bishop character feel scary to you? Did you trust him? I thought that it was interesting that they established Bishop as being, with Bishop having a sense of humor and also being fallible. Bill Paxson is, like, ribbing him, and he's like, all right, and he, like, grabs his hand. But not only does he have a sense of humor with that, yep. but he like also misses and he nicks himself. And it was an effective way of revealing that he was an, uh, an android or whatever. But he wasn't scary. I don't. I think she dispatched with him pretty quickly. She was like, stay away from me and I'll stay away from you. And he kind of showed up here and there and was like, I'm going to continue my research. And she's like, you do that. But definitely he was meant to be scary and he was meant to echo the concerns that uh, ultimately came to pass with, came to be verified with Ash on the Nostromo. But uh, Lance Henriksen, who played Bishop, was originally uh, James Cameron's choice to play the Terminator. He was supposed to look passable for an everyday kind of guy. Certainly no one hulking and imposing like Arnold Schwarzenegger. 
Wow. And, uh, yeah, he had this sort of otherworldly idea about him that lent well to him being the android. He was a great android. Yeah. James Cameron also loves the um, hot Latina badass archetype. Um, well, I don't know about Latina, but Jeanette Goldstein, also a James Cameron regular, but it'll blow your mind, man, because she showed up for this audition. She was dressed as a tough-talking Latina because she thought the movie was actually about illegal aliens. And they liked her performance so much that they cast her. Uh, her name is Goldstein. She's a super white Jewish lady who wore bronzer and brown contact lenses and affected an accent and was basically in brown face. <laughs> for being a not Latino what? actress at all. You know how you can tell? She was John Connor's mother in Terminator 2. Wolfie's fine, honey. The one who stabs the dad through the mouth, spoiler. Oh my gosh. And she was the Irish mom singing to her kids when the <gasps> ship is sinking in Titanic. You are blowing my mind right now. Yeah, it's crazy. She was so effective. She's such a Michelle Rodriguez. And she was definitely doing her own pull-ups and chin-ups and all that what? stuff. And yeah, Michelle Rodriguez probably owes her role in Avatar to Jeanette Goldstein. That is bizarro. I didn't even make the connection to the last name. Whoa, and to see how she transformed in those other roles? Yeah, it's crazy. That's rad. But um, can we talk about, because I, I made an allusion to this, the whole pre-Avatar thing. Yeah. I mean, really. So there's the Michelle Rodriguez hot Latina archetype. There's the wearable robot thing. There's like the nefarious company and the terraforming and the aliens. Basically, like Avatar is like a flip side variation on the same things. Yeah. And a rip off of Dances with Wolves at that. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll save that for the review on Avatars 8, 9, 10, and 11. Yeah. You can't fault aliens for trumping Avatar two decades earlier. <laughs> so we have to come up with a new name for this effect. The reverse trope? Like the pre-troping? You can't pre-trope aliens for Avatar? Yeah. It's strange to think that this movie wasn't effective in, in at least different ways. Acknowledge it's nowhere near the same. It can't possibly stand up to Alien in horror because part of that was the surprise, was the evolution of this creature and you didn't know where it was coming. In this aspect, it was it was sort of the overwhelming numbers and them resorting to whatever wits they could to try to get out of there just alive. Did you think it was odd or funny at all that like nobody gave a second thought about Burke he like locks himself into that room when they're all trying to when they're all battling the yeah. aliens and they're pissed off about that but then he has this like very ignominious death but like nobody once goes where's Burke like they don't witness it or anything <laughs> I think they were pretty well said they were they were going to kill him they no offense we're wasting this dude because he was going to infect you all he was going to infect us to get us through quarantine and and sabotage your pods so that you all die so he can make up any story he likes. Um, so in the um, reconstruction of some of the deleted scenes to create the director's cut, which is now uh, considered the definitive cut, there is another Burke scene where Ripley happens upon him later on, I think when she goes to retrieve Newt and he is, you know, cocooned to the wall and awaiting his inevitable chest bursting and he begs her to kill him. She hands him a grenade and walks away. 
Oh, how come that's not in the director's cut? Um, James Cameron felt that the scene was visually not appealing, didn't justify its inclusion, and we felt that Burke got his comeuppance when he turns and there's an alien who presumably kills him outright. So where can that be found? Um, I don't know. I think it wasn't it wasn't included, but I think it finally made its way back to the special edition deleted scenes. And I have the special edition here on disc, and I will look for it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a, just a ton of expectation that comes with, one, a James Cameron film, two, a successor to Alien. Yeah. This was sort of his proving movie, aside from a small movie like uh, Terminator taking an established property and expanding upon it and, and doing right by it so that it was a worthy successor to a, a classic film. Yeah. I think if I just took it for what it was that I might be less harsh, but because of the because of everything else around it, it's hard to judge it independently. I mean, because you know I'm a fan, and Titanic is one of my favorite movies of all time. I just expected a lot from James Cameron. But of course, it's still impressive in its own right. So, question, in going back to the old pre-tropes thing that we were talking about, you mentioned in Alien that as soon as she got onto the shuttle from the Nostromo, you were like, okay, where's the alien? Obviously, the alien's going to make another appearance. Yep. And questioning whether or not that was a trope. Yep. Was it completely obvious that the queen was going to reemerge? Yep. Did you expect when... Because obviously, I think you were meant to think that Bishop had been infected and we were going to maybe get some kind of android alien or something. Because the first thing we see is the acid eating away at the floor. And then, he, he, you know, he throws his hands back and his chest bulges out. But then ultimately, it's the tail of the queen. Yeah, I was. It wasn't expected. The execution of it wasn't expected. But yeah, they. Um, it was just a little too convenient. She doesn't get. We don't get any closure about the mother, right? Which seems incongruent with how important she is, and um, loose ends that needed tying. Was it lost on you that these were basically two mothers fighting each other to the death over their kids? I mean, yeah, but kind of what's more basic human condition than that? It doesn't feel revelatory <laughs> to me. <laughs> brought out the claws. I feel like there's a lot of great things in this movie, a lot of stuff that's really hard for me to watch. I think the comedic direction for a lot of it, as cool as the Marines are, was was really annoying, continues to be to this day. Uh, a lot of people don't find it that way. And Jeanette Goldstein is cool just because of how we kind of see her later in subsequent Cameron movies. But... It was just kind of a sequel that I like because it expanded so cleanly on the themes of the original movie without taking away from what Alien was. It wasn't trying to reproduce it. It was trying to be its own thing, and I think it succeeded in doing that for all its shortcomings. It's definitely a cool movie. So Alien's possibly the best tribute film of all time? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But kind of a boring movie? No way, dude. This movie is all right. It's an all right movie right? if you take away the fact that it's James Cameron, if you take away the fact that it's a successor to Alien. We're, we're judging. James Cameron does not appear in this movie at all. James Cameron is a fabulous director. Granted, he was a kid when he did this. You can't bring it down because of Alien either as a standalone movie. Does it work? Sure. It functions. It's, it's a fan film, dude. It's... Is it a boring fan film? No, it was watchable. And thus the rating that it deserves is? 
This is a hard one. Can we, can I think about it and come back? No. When are we going to pick it up? In our reunion episode? Can I leave it unscored? Is this punishment for the hangover? (laughs) It's not like this is a personal film to you. Fine. It was a good movie. Yeah. But it was also kind of boring. (laughs) Nope. I'm going to edit that out. Just the good movie part. (laughs) That's our talk on Aliens viewable now on HBO with the rest of the Alien franchise. Thank you, our Patreon patrons, for your patronage. Hit us up. Let us know what you think. 818-835-0374 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and signing off. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Cast.